What is happening to the surface of the planet Earth and to California's Central Valley? The concerns we have here in Modesto are varied. We need to look at the effects that the global temperatures are having on our soil and various aspects of life in an agricultural community. What are the honest, hardcore facts about reckless human behavior that cause the peril that humans make for each other? And what can we do to take better care of each other? Great Mother Earth, her promise in peril. We are curators of factual recordings so that you can learn and navigate for yourself this terrain of the perils and the promises right here on kcbpradio.org sponsored by the Peace Life Center of Modesto. On this week's show, we'll hear from Lindsay Buckley regarding the different jurisdictions and agencies responsible for policing of polluters in California. And we'll hear from Yolanda Park, who was on the Peril and Promise a few months ago, telling us about the situation with Site 300 and Tracy. Site 300 is that toxic bomb blast site, and we'll uh, have that in a future episode of the show again we got to keep the finger on the pulse of what's going on over there in Livermore and Tracy. But for today, Ms. Park will talk a little bit about asthma and air quality here in the Central Valley. I'm your host. My name is Pegasus, and we do need a co-host to join me here on The Peril and the Promise. So if you're interested, look us up at kcdpradio.org and find out how to volunteer at your community radio station here in the Valley. Okay, so let's hear that interview I recorded with Lindsay Buckley of the California Air Resources Board. I'm Pegasus on kcbpradio.org. Hi, my name is Lindsay Buckley, and I'm an information officer at the California Air Resources Board, um, or CARB, which is the state's lead agency in the fight against air pollution and climate change. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of CARB? Sure. Um, CARB was founded 50 years ago. We actually just had our 50th anniversary last year, um, and it was actually um, started by Governor Ronald Reagan um, during the small crisis of the 50s and 60s when folks realized that um, pollution was uh, really harmful. So at the time, uh, cars were significantly more polluting than they are today. Um, there was a lot of burning happening um, in at homes and a lot of things that, you know, frankly, we don't see today because of clean air regulations that have since been adopted. So over the course of time, our uh, uh, what we do has been expanded as technology and science progresses. And in the 2000s, we were charged with developing the state's climate change plan in addition to the clean air plans. Um, and so now that is a core piece of our work as well. Good to know. What's the relationship between the Air Resources Board and local districts? Sure. Uh, the federal, state, and local governments all have certain responsibilities when it comes to uh, addressing air quality issues. Uh, the state's role is primarily involved with setting standards and rules for mobile sources of air pollution, like cars and trucks and freight whereas local air districts are most in charge with sources of air pollution that are stationary, um, like oil and gas production facilities or small factories, uh, recyclers, basically things that don't go anywhere. Things that are actually in communities. Um, so the local air districts, they um, uh, distribute permits to businesses to be able to operate. 
Um, they also uh, uh, make sure that, that folks are, are operating in compliance. Uh, they work with us at the state to develop regional plans according to the standards that the federal government has set. Um, and they do a lot of other great things as well. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done on the air pollution front, and we do part of it here at the state, and then we work very closely with our local partners um, to do uh, critical pieces of it as well. Great. I'm also curious about the authority. As you said, there's local, state, and federal levels, but how are the standards enforced, and are there consequences? Uh, so primarily our way of going about policy as a regulatory agency is to set certain standards um, that come to us through mandates by the governor or by the legislature uh, to clean up air pollution. So we set standards and then industry has to meet those standards. And if they don't meet those standards, um, then there may be a violation or a fine associated with it. So for example, um, we have a lot of uh, clean trucking regulations that have um, led to significant reductions in diesel particulate matter, which is a a toxic air pollutant that is, is really bad for human health. Um, and so for certain trucking fleets, they have to come into compliance and have cleaner trucks over time. Um, and if that's not occurring, um, then there could possibly be a fine associated with it. Now, most of our regulations are self-enforcing, which means that uh, we expect a lot of industry to, um, to operate according to the law. Uh, but, of course, we can't be in, at every business all the time, and so certainly uh, there are violators, and we have um, a number of ways that folks can report that to us. For example, if you see a, um, a truck or a car that is uh, smoking significantly on the freeway, we have a, a smog hotline and a, a form that we encourage folks to report that. So uh, it's a little bit of us out there in the world doing enforcement, and then we also rely upon, um, you know, good actors uh, to be doing what they need to be doing and, and others to let us know when perhaps folks aren't compliant with the law. All right. And how would you compare California's Air Resources Board in terms of its functionality and these kinds of things that your agency is responsible for compared to how other states handle these issues? How do we in California, how do we do versus some of the other states? Yeah, so California has a long history of environmental protection that actually predates uh, the United States government. Uh, our Air Resources Board, for example, was created before the federal government developed the Clean Air Act. And so because we were already active in this area, uh, we got a special exemption or special authority to essentially set our own standards when it came to a lot of different um, areas of, of regulating pollution, and that particularly around cars and trucks. Um, so when we have a policy that we want to adopt that is perhaps stronger than the federal government, we uh, have a, a waiver that we, we seek from them. We essentially go and say, hey, uh, we want to do this. We need it to be stronger because we have more serious air pollution problems, and this is going to help us address that. And then if the science is found uh, to, to back us up, then we will receive a waiver from US EPA, and we've been successful in receiving approvals on them, almost all of our waivers over time. Um, so that is a unique authority that only California has. However, many other states can adopt our standards. There is an option for them, essentially, to uh, go our way and, um, and have more stringent standards in the federal government. 
if they so choose. And so there are uh, 13 states around the country that actually have the same same cleaner car standards as California, um, and that is encouraging electric cars and hybrid cars and, um, and cars that are, are minimal uh, pollution emitters. So that is one special and unique aspect of California's authority. Thank you, Lindsay. I want to ask a few more questions, but first I need to remind our listeners that this show is called Apparel and the Promise, heard here at kcbpradio.org. The next question is about how the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, at a federal level operates under the authority of past legislation called the NEPA, which is analogous to California's CEQA, right? Is that an accurate understanding? Um, of how agencies regulate the potential and actual polluters uh, because of the CEQA, the uh, Environmental Quality Act? I see. Um, so uh, legislation that leads um, agencies to regulate primarily starts out of, of well, legislation starts out of the legislature. So um, most of our authority comes from bills. So one key bill that was passed um, in 2006 is AB32, which is the Global Warming Solutions Act of 2006. It was signed by Governor Schwarzenegger. And that was the state's first really big climate change bill. And that bill, then signed by the governor, um, directed CARB to go forth and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, address climate change, um, which has significant impacts both on our environment as well as human health. So through that bill, essentially, we then have the authority as a regulatory body to create a plan to then achieve those goals. And actually, we have to. It's our job. We've been told to do it. So, so that is how we basically get our authority to do things. Now, um, through a process like creating the state's climate plan, or, or basically anything that the state or uh, local government does, is subject to sequence, the California Environmental Quality Act. And that is an analysis, essentially, to make sure that whatever you're doing um, that doesn't negatively impact the environment, and if it does, then you have to show ways that you're then making up for that negative environmental impact. Um, so on something like our big plan, it's a little nefarious um, as an example, but, uh, you know, back at home in Modesto, many local developments um, or plans that the city has adopted uh, you know, for example, somebody wants to build um, an affordable housing development or a new uh, a new neighborhood. Those processes, those plans, would go through that local uh, planning process, a local review process, and uh, analysis through the California Environmental Quality Act would also be required. So again, they would look at the pro project um, and see whether it has negative environmental outcomes or effects. And then that, those effects would have to be mitigated or made up for somehow. Okay, great. Two more questions, Lindsay. It sounds like the Air Resources Board only has authority over civilian agencies and individuals, but not over federal entities like the military polluters, right? Is that accurate? Uh, that, that is accurate. Um, the military, while they, uh, they are obviously a... Um, you know, a resident here in California, um, you know, the military base, for example, isn't necessarily under California's authority. That's a federal operation. However, you know, I would say just to put in a plug for the U.S. military um, that they are doing some really great things on the environment. 
Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, they're particularly motivated by um, oil dependency, which is connected with a lot of our conflicts. So the U.S. military actually has a very uh, robust climate action planning effort, which you wouldn't necessarily expect, but they're uh, in a lot of um, electric vehicles. They're trying to incorporate electric vehicles into their fleets. They're using uh, cleaner fuels in a lot of their engines. Um, there's a lot of renewable energy installations happening at military bases. So uh, just to put in a plug for those guys, um, yeah, they they have their own operations, but they're also doing a lot of really great things for the environment. Um, California as a state, we have, yes, authority over, um, you know, our, our state here and the operations here if you're, if you're a business that wants to operate here. And then, um, you know, primarily the way that we get to individuals and individual action is through this kind of top-down approach. You know, we want um, the air to be cleaner and to address climate change. And the way that we're helping citizens do that is making sure that the fuels and the electricity that they're using is getting cleaner and cleaner, but that the cars that they're buying are getting cleaner, too. What do you see for the future? Is there any hope and promise for California's future in the midst of climate change? Any good plans? Will your power be limited by the feds, which would be bad, of course? Uh, where are we going in the next 10 to 20 years? Sure. Um, well, I'm not, I'm a young person myself, but um, I have some really great mentors here who have, um, uh, who have really inspired me and, and made me very hopeful by looking you know, at the lens of, of history and not just looking at things through this political moment. And so, you know, looking back on CARP's history and California's history, we have, of course, been um, in times like this of resistance against our efforts. Now, granted, this is a little bit more extreme than we've ever experienced, but uh, we are very committed and confident in in our authority. We believe that the law is on our side. We believe that, you know, it's a moral imperative for us to address these serious health and environmental issues, um, and that, you know, this is, this is a long-term game for us. We have very aggressive long-term goals till 2050. Um, we have very supportive political systems at the local and state level and in the governor's office. And not only that, it's what Californians want us to do. We should right. have shown uh, year and year, uh, or year over year, that Californians support this kind of action. And so, you know, I can't help but be anything but optimistic because, it's what we got to do. Is there any place our listeners can go for more info on your agency? Sure. You can check out our website. It's arb.ca.gov. And I'd also um, put in a plug, we have a lot of really great programs that are funded through our climate programs. We call them the California Climate Investments. We're doing things like um, giving folks rebates for cleaner cars or for um, energy efficiency um, and I would encourage folks to also check out that website if you want to learn about some programs that could benefit you. And that website is uh, caclimateinvestments.ca.gov. Take care, Lindsay. Oh, well, thank you very much, Pegasus. It was good to talk to you. So this is uh, Pegasus with KCPPRadio.org out in the streets of Galt with Yolanda Park. My name is Yolanda Park and I am the Environmental Justice Program Manager at Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Stockton. We talked last time uh, we had you on uh, the peril and the promise 
a little bit about asthma. Can you tell me more about the situations about asthma in the Central Valley? Well, I don't have the stats on me currently, but the Central Valley has um, unfortunately won the award of the worst air quality, according to the American Lung Association. Worse than than Los Angeles. That is correct, actually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's primarily on the southern end of the valley, so, you know, Fresno and Kern areas. Um, But yeah, it's pretty much the Central Valley as a whole, unfortunately. And it's just kind of that bowl, you know, where the air that we get, especially now from the fires, have come in and just kind of sat there. So um, what does that mean in terms of um, health for children versus health for adults? Uh, Is there any difference between the onset of asthma for children, or is it like a lifelong uh, disability? Um, So yeah, asthma is definitely something that children have the higher potential to get, and that's mainly because their lungs are still developing. And adults can also get it, and um, but their lungs are, because their lungs are more, more developed or already developed, you know, depending on the age, um, they are less likely to be severely impacted. However, it's still very possible, especially older folk, you know, as you age and you know, kind of get old, <laughs> um, you start deteriorating a little, and, and that doesn't help if the air quality is bad. And then you have people who, for all intents and purposes, they're healthy, and they'll have a sudden asthma attack where they've never had asthma before, and they'll die. It's Asthma is fatal, and people don't think of asthma as being fatal. You know, you have your little inhaler, and then you're fine, but what is asthma? It's not being able to breathe. And if you can't breathe, then obviously, you know, you can die from that. Right. Um, And for the sake of our listening audience, I know you've told me this before about your own children. Can you share a little bit about that and where they were born and how that how that was probably affected in their asthma condition? Sure. My oldest was born in South Korea and we didn't have any air quality issues in the location that we were born he was born which was um the southern end around busan area and so he was fine you know perfectly healthy baby we moved back to the states when he was 10 months old and i had my second son in the central valley and he was diagnosed with asthma before he turned uh, two years old and then my third a full pregnancy in Central Valley, born in the Central Valley. And before he was four months old, he was diagnosed with reactive airway disease. Now that means that his lungs didn't develop properly while he was, uh, you know, as a fetus. And that meant that he needed a little help to, to breathe. So he has a nebulizer and he has to be on that on, especially bad air days. And can you, can you tell me the difference between a nebulizer and a, is that the same as the uh, inhale? It's essentially the same just for babies. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, babies can't hold that inhaler and yeah. do the pumping. So, um, yeah, the nebulizer is a mask that goes over the face and, and distributes the albuterol. Uh, so, yeah, um, he so he has to be on the nebulizer um, nine months out of the year. And that was because of particulate matter, which 
the air quality uh, in the Central Valley has an unfortunate amount of now. Particulate matter um, is PM 2.5 for short, PM for particulate matter. And the, the numbers indicate the size of the matter. So PM 2.5 means that this particulate matter is smaller than a strand of hair which means it can get into the bloodstream. So it gets into your lungs, it gets into the brain, it gets wherever your blood goes, that's where this particulate matter goes. So if you're pregnant, like I was during that time, it gets to the fetus as well. And that's what happened with my son. So you don't have asthma? Actually, I do. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I played soccer for 12 years as a kid. In the Central Valley? Correct, in the Central Valley. I grew up in the Central Valley. and. Um, one day I found I couldn't breathe very well and went to the doctor and they said, well, you have sports-induced asthma. You were playing outside too much, basically. Playing outside in a polluted environment. Exactly. So I had to get an inhaler and I carried it with me all throughout the rest of high school and college. Um, When we moved to Korea, I didn't need it. When we came back, I found I needed it again. Okay. So, um, So it's a condition that sticks with you. Uh, especially when you're in a polluted area. Is there such a thing as uh, overcoming asthma, or is it permanent? You'll have varying people say varying sides of that. (laughs) I have always heard people say, oh, you can grow out of it, or we hope they'll grow out of it. The truth of the matter is you don't. Mm -hmm. It's something that stays with you. Now, you can move to a, a better environment, cleaner air, and not be affected by it. And if you stay there, then you may never be affected by asthma again. But if you're like me and you come back to an impacted area, it's going to flare up again. So how does your work um, with Catholic Charities, how does that uh, address the issue of uh, the pollution in the area and trying to help make it less polluted? Sure. So the mission of our program, the Environmental Justice Program, is to be the voice for vulnerable and disadvantaged communities, especially in the sense that um, they are, you know, in the created in the image and likeness of God, and uh, it is up to us to be brothers and sisters uh, to each other, and you know, good stewards of the earth. So what we do is we have three areas of scope of work. We have one which is education. So we start by trying to educate. Um, whoever's interested, uh, but also community members about, you know, here's what's happening in your area. Here are potential sources of pollution. For example, in Stockton, we have a biomass incinerator, which means that they are burning biomaterial, so trees and leaves and shrubs. You know, they're, as you may know, the drought really hit California hard. Trees in the Sierra Nevada died. So they brought those trees down because they are having to get rid of it because that's a fire hazard, right? So they weren't able to turn them into lumber for logs. They're just burning them? Or the slash, probably. The slash has to get burned. There's not enough incentive to recycle those woods. I mean, there's so many things you could do with it. You can compost it. You can wood chip it. You can mulch it, you know. But unfortunately, the biomass incinerators are subsidized. So they have to get that in order to meet their quotas. And, you know, why are you wasting this material and just burning it 
which in, in a sense, it causes ruts in the road because you're having trucks carry it yeah. through. So that's road damage. You're having the emissions from the trucks, which means the communities that those trucks go through are breathing in those diesel emissions. And then, of course, you have the incinerator itself where they're burning that material. My family um, and I actually had lived right across the river from that. When you were a child? No, um, my kids. Yeah, my current family. Yeah. I guess one of those possible solutions would be, and maybe we could look into this on a future episode of The Peril and the Promise, is anybody, or maybe you have an answer now, is anybody working politically to make it so that um, companies that want to wood chip and turn it into compost, that they would be the subsidized ones? Or Yeah, we really need to, sh- to have that shift in, in cultural viewpoint about what we do with our bio waste. And the answer is not to burn it because that's not a renewable energy. Um, it's a polluting energy, yeah. just like a, you know, a truck that goes down the road. Um, so, yeah, we need to do the, the second part of our work, which is community organizing, getting together and doing the third part of our work, which is advocacy and telling our representatives biomass incinerators are not the way to go. Having trucks cart trees, dead trees from you know one part of the state to another is not the way to go. We need to support and promote these alternatives that will provide jobs and will be better for the environment. It's education, community organizing, and advocacy. Thank you. There's actually a lot of legislation that has been put on the table, SB 100, for example, which as a 501c3A, I'm neither supporting nor opposing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it is if something you know people could be interested in looking into. Right. So, We're recording this in um, September of 2018, so SB 100. Well, so that one is saying about 100% renewable energy <gasps> right. by okay. 2045. At this point, what we really need is people to find out what the issues are in their community and you don't have to be experts and that's the thing a lot of people think they have to be experts they have to know what pm 2.5 or pm 10 it's like no you don't need to know that you need to just tell your representative whether it's city council or planning commission or you know your assembly member or senator congressman whoever and say we can't breathe we're going to the hospital for asthma attacks you know however many times what are you going to do about it? You yeah. you represent us, you mm-hmm. know, and so we need people to to actually be active in that in that way. Thank you. And people can get more information on on such advocacy through your website or sure. So you can look us up at ejstockton.org. You could send me an email at ypark y p a r k at ccstockton.org. Thank you very much, Yolanda. For sure. Thank you. I'm your host, my name is Pegasus, and we do need a co-host to join me here on The Peril and the Promise, so if you're interested, look us up at kcbpradio.org and find out how to volunteer at your community radio station here in the Valley. You've been listening to The Peril and the Promise from kcbpradio.org, produced by Adlai Fredrickson and Pegasus here at the Peace Life Center of Modesto. You can tune in every week at this time to learn about the peril that humans make for each other and the promise that we can make for a better world as community. Music on The Peril and the Promise on the Earth is by Alzara Getz and Dorothy Smelter.